This is Poetry Off the Shelf. I'm Helena Dichrod. Today, new parents. This episode is a rerun of my conversation with Raymond Antrobus from the summer of 2021. I checked back in with him to see how he was doing. You'll find that update at the end. Okay, so now here's the episode. Raymond Antrobus was born in London to an English mother, Rosemary, and a Jamaican father, Seymour. His parents were both politically engaged, they both loved music, but their relationship was volatile and they eventually split up. A few years ago, Antrobus' father was diagnosed with dementia. Raymond took care of him for two years before he died. And grieving over the loss of his father is what led Antrobus to write his first collection, The Perseverance. Now there's a second, All the Names Given, dedicated to his mother. When I recently sat down with Raymond, family was absolutely on his mind. Not just the one he's from, but also the one he's starting. In the spring of 2019, he'd gotten married to an American woman, Tabitha. Now, almost two years later, Antrobus and his wife have finally sorted out the nightmare that is UK and US immigration paperwork. And today, they're in the UK, getting ready for their lives to change again. Because you're going to have a baby also, Yeah, right? yeah. I have a son on the way pretty soon. So, um, yeah. And, you know, I've been writing kind of children. Like, I've written a children's book. I've written another children's book. Yeah. Like, I, I, my head is also in that place as well of kind of writing for, for children. <laughs> yeah. And that's been really, even though I haven't shared it with my own child yet, but it's kind of a, this, like, imagination of, hmm, what do I need to model for this new life for this stranger I'm about to meet? How do I want them to understand me? And then how can I learn and understand who they are and who they will become? Yeah, it's going to yeah. be, it's, it's wild. I've been talking to quite a few poets who are also parents um, and got quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of, if I'm honest, caution. <laughs> People are like, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> You're not yeah. going to write, just heads up, you're not going to write that much anymore. You know, you just have to find a way to live different. So I don't I don't know what that's going to mean yet, but soon it will be in a reality. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, before, because I would like to know a little bit more about you and your, you know, your ideas of what kind of parent you'll be. But mm. first, I want to start with your own parents. Mm. And a, a few years ago, in an essay, you wrote, my parents didn't get along in the end but they both respected poetry. Mm -hmm. And I'm so interested in that. It's not every day that you meet someone who had two parents who were actually interested in poetry. And so can you tell me a little bit what that was like growing up in a household or, you know, in two households mm. where poetry mattered? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think it's... Well, first off, I should say that I don't think there was any kind of consciousness for them as parents to nurture me to become a poet I don't think that was ever their intention this was kind of an accident you know <laughs> but um but it is true that both my parents would talk about poets and talk about poetry 
in relation to the country that they're from. So my dad being Jamaican and a little bit of a kind of, I don't want to say aspiring DJ, but he would record lots of music and like dubs and stuff of TV and radio. And so much of the recording, it was either like reggae or rock steady, dub and dub poetry. And then it would be like stuff that he would find late at night on the BBC World Service when they would suddenly have someone like um, Miss Lou. Oh, my auntie wrote to say, when the Asian culture and the European culture walk upon African culture and the Caribbean people, we stir them up and blend them to a flavor. <laughs> we shake them up and move them to a beat. We wheel them and we turn them and we rock them and we sound them and we temper them and laugh the rhythm sweet. <laughs> Or Linton Questy Johnson. This is the age of reality. But somehow we are dealing with mythology. This is the age of science and technology. But somehow we are checked the antiquity. Or uh, Michael Smith. Room them and rent me apply within. But as me going cockroach, rotten scorpion also come in. One good nose of a run. But me now go to stump a high wall like Humpy Dumpy. Me, I face my reality. One little boy come blow him on. And I look upon him with scan. As me realize, some five boy picnic was a victim of the chick them called parties and politics. And my ban my belly and my ball. And my ban my belly and my ball. Lord, me can't believe it. You know, any of these kind of poets would just suddenly pop up on a BBC radio just for maybe like a few minutes and he would record them on a tape and then he would share those tapes with me. He would be like, hey, you hear this poem? And he would play it and no matter what poem it was, he would find it so amusing. It was like more for himself, really, because I think my dad at that time, he hadn't been back to Jamaica for probably 15 years. He only started going back once he'd had me and my sister, so he was just kind of taking them back to see the family. So a lot of these kind of Jamaican poets and Jamaican British or black British poets that my dad introduced me to associated all of them with with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on my mum's side, she loved lots of poets. But the, the poets I remember her talking about the most was uh, William Blake. Uh-huh. Uh, William Blake is a great poet to know about, no, not just the poetry, but the history of William Blake when you're living in London, because so much of it is still kind of part of the fabric of the landscape of London. You could still go to the tree in, in South East London where William Blake is said to have seen angels, you know? Yeah. There's different like plaques and walks. And so we would drive around london or even like uh westminster bridge or london bridge and she would say something like oh i bet william blake walked across this bridge reciting a poem oh you know this story about um police officers arrested him or something and he'd found where this particular police officer lived and he urinated in his garden (laughs) i know there was all these kind of stories and i remember her saying oh william blake used to um recite his poems to trees and he would just shout lines at poems at trees and all this kind of stuff so you know it's the stories as well as the poetry yeah i was always just interested in that and i think as my mom would see that that would be a way to get me to listen to what she had to say she would share that with me um and then she also loved um adrian mitchell because my parents would take me on you know, anti-apartheid marches and uh, anti-Vietnam marches. And um, Adrian Mitchell, he organised a protest 
during Vietnam, and the refrain of this particular poem is, uh, tell me lies, tell me lies about Vietnam. I was run over by the truth one day. Ever since the accident, I've walked this way. So stick my legs in plaster. Tell me lies about Vietnam. And so I remember, yeah, walking um, onto Westminster with my, both my parents, and Adrian Mitchell was there reciting a poem through a microphone. Um, so, yeah, like there's just all these kind of little quite powerful memories I have modelled by the stories of poets that both my parents had given me. So that meant that by the time I got to, you know, learning about poetry academically in a classroom from, as a teenager, I didn't have any, I think, of, of the baggage that a lot of people put on poetry. This kind of fear of, oh, it has to be this quite rigid, um, I don't know, often kind of Shakespearean idea of poetry. It's not known as this thing that's alive mm -hmm. and living and, you know, and exists through a history of a place as well as a language of a place and all of these things are intrinsic. Um, and because I'd, you know, heard my dad recite poetry and show me so much poetry from Jamaica, it was kind of like, my imagination of what poetry is is just wider than I think most people. So I do understand this now as a real kind of privilege. Like you say, I, I, don't, I don't meet many people either mm -hmm. who had that, like access to two parents who were just like uh, a very joyful and appreciative about poetry and what it has to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And what I think is so beautiful also in your story is that Poetry is not something that lives on a page mm. necessarily, but that sort of lives in sound and in the world outside and is a part of activism and a part of the landscape. And like the boundaries are a little bit more porous between right. the language of the world and the language that we call poetry. You right, know? right. Exactly. Um, and, and that's also another thing that I want to ask you, like besides your early introduction to poetry, are there other specific bits of language or modes of speech that have really influenced how you write? Yeah, you know, I remember, like you say, really resonating with the poetry, which was often musical, but also conversational. Yeah. So there was one particular book, which was on both my parents' bookshelf, which was a book by Jamaican-British poet called Andrew Sulky. And it is a book-length poem called uh, An Epic Poem, Jamaica. And just the fact that it was just on both my parents, you know, living separately, a presence in both of their house. I just just for years, it's something I would pick up every now and then, just flick through a few pages, read something, put it down. Flick through a few pages, read something, put it down. And, it, and again, it just kind of left enough of an impression in me to go back to it as an adult, as someone who is then practicing poetry and really understand or not, or, or I can't really say I fully understand, but I can say I have a deeper relationship with the book because of my relationship through time with it. Mm -hmm. And parts of the poem is like a, it's like a chant. Some of it is a kind of summoning for the original inhabitants of Jamaica. It's a kind of, um, yearning for understanding and for the history of Jamaica to be told. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also these really funny little kind of joyous anecdotes in it about 
eating food, eating chicken, barbecues, um, like sharing stories with people. Yeah. As much historians mm-hmm. and witnesses of and, and reporters of life, but it still sings. Yes. It's not journalism. It is poetry. Uh huh. And so, poets like that, they were just shining lights for me as a young poet thinking about you know again what's possible in poetry because there was also this other thing of like I was constantly being called a spoken word poet and yes I did perform poetry yes I uh, went through a kind of spoken word world and slams and all of this kind of thing but it's interesting that the way that it was often spoken about in terms of being spoken word is that the kind of you know how can I say this? The my engagement with literature was almost erased. Yeah, if that makes sense. It's like it's this assumption that it's kind of like, oh, okay, so you do spoken words, so so you're gonna know about rappers, or you're gonna know about yeah. these musicians yeah. or these songwriters. And it's like, well, yes, and this, you know, yes, Jay Z, yes, Andrew Sulky, you Absolutely. know, Absolutely. Like, so so they all kind of coexist. So coming into the poetry world and mm-hmm. like really dreaming, really having uh quite an intense <laughs> yearning to become recognized as a poet uh, when I was younger. Just like, yeah, this is really what I want to do, what I want to be known for. This feels like it's speaking to something intrinsic to the person I am. And, and there's a kind of soulfulness in the practice of poetry for me. Um, but what came with it was this kind of, in some ways, self-consciousness about the way in which other people were reading my work or my presence and but you you know I think uh being a bit older now and having published a few books and stuff I I, you you have to accept that you can't control these things yeah you know you drive yourself crazy like whatever whatever people are gonna say about you or your work it's it's not your business in a way it really isn't so like I'm trying to practice that yes. more you know and um, align myself with 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 the with the work and what my intentions with the work are because you know yeah yeah I completely understand and and there's there you know I think it can also be so interesting when those two are integrated the kind of spoken, more conversational mm. kind that really rests on how you pronounce something, how you mm. s- deliver something. And when you actually manage to capture that on the page, I think poets who are able to do that, mm. that is a kind of magic of translation that I'll never not be in awe of. Mm. You know, like when you read, I, I haven't read Salki, but mm. it made me think when you were talking about it, of a writer like Marlon James. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, also very voicey mm-hmm. Jamaican writer who weaves history and myth yeah. who really has an ear for the way people speak. Mm. And when you see it on the page, it becomes alive in your ear, you know, mm. like it's wild. I, I've never been to Jamaica, you know, mm. but I, it's it's a very evocative way of writing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was wondering if you can, there's a poem in your collection called And That. Oh, wow, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's on page 36. 36, yeah. And I was wondering if you can read it. It's a persona poem. Yeah. Um, in the voice of, of a childhood friend of yours. But I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about it before you read it. Sure, yeah. So this is a poem I wrote immediately after seeing a friend. Yeah, like I say, uh, a friend who I hadn't seen since school. We'd gone to um, the same school together and 
<laughs> I'd also been living out of like so I'm from um, Hackney uh-huh. and uh, yeah and that's also where I first started going to school so I hadn't seen him literally since I would have been like eight nine years old but it's so strange how you can you know memory someone you recognize someone from when they were eight nine and you're like oh yeah <laughs> And yeah, exactly. Like you haven't changed. You've yeah, changed a like, lot, but you haven't. But you changed. haven't, you know. And <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. So, so this is like kind of this conversation that that we had because he recognized me, but, the, but at the same time, he had other questions about me, and and I guess he was making some assumptions about me, and it was so kind of <laughs> kind of strange about being from a place mm-hmm. and and then leaving and then coming back, right? But the people that just stayed in that one place and haven't left they can tell the people who have gone elsewhere and they've taken yeah. like it's almost like they've taken things from other places with them back to where they're from and they're like nah nah there's something else happening with mm-hmm. you why do you look like an outsider now right you know so right. I'll give this poem a go um, and that chicken wings and that boss man salt in them and that don't assault man give man a napkin big man no steroid and that Dark times, new street lights and that. House man, I'm getting by and that. Still boy them harass. Not beefing, not tagged man, still trapped. Cycle man, pedaling and that. On road, new pavements, levelled and that. Crackney change, still stay dwelling and that. Paradise moves, but I got to land grab. We E8, East man, ain't got to adapt. Our kingdom, got no land to hand back. Man, chat breeze, chat trade winds and that. You out ends, got good job, legit and that. Locked off, man, them. Stay plotting and that. Rare, flower shorts, you hipster and that. Man gone, vegan, no chicken winds and that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, you know, this is a rhythm of his speech. Like, every, at the end of every sentence and that, yeah, man, and that, and that, and that, and that. And uh-huh. it's like there's music to him. And I was just like... That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. And, you know, that saying that poetry is music from the place where you were born. Oh, um, that's beautiful. Is, is, is something that I try and reside by. Yeah. So, like, when I heard that and I was like, yeah, I remember that rhythm. I remember that music. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's going to become a poem. You know, of course it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it also because it's such an elegant, concise way to give this whole complex backstory. You know, mm. you don't get all heavy-handed with it. You don't have to say, like, so this is the story of two friends, mm. you know, they used to live in what... No, you know, it's just all in this little monologue. You know, your friend is stuck, uh, and, and it's been hard, you know, dark times, new street lights and that. Yeah. Uh, how's man? I'm getting by and that. Like, yeah. he's probably not doing so well. <laughs> Uh, and he figures out that you've left, you know, you, you out and got good job legit in that. You yeah. know, I can't, I'm not going to even pretend to. <laughs> no, you got it, you got <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then that end I thought was so sweet too, you know, can you read again from Ra Ray? <laughs> Ra Ray, flower shorts, you hipster in that, man gone, vegan, no chicken wings in that. <laughs> yeah, because you see him in front of a chicken place, right? right? exactly. Yeah. I even thought like, oh, this is so novelistic or, or, or like a playwright or something would do, you know, this. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's so much backstory in just this little bit of speech. 
Yeah, I do love a good play. I can't lie. I've never. I did try to write a play once, uh-huh. but what happened with that was plays require a lot of people. <laughs> Poetry requires nobody but you, and then whoever wants to publish it. You know, like um, so. One hundred percent. Yeah, I haven't yet got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know the way that you paint this entire backstory with so few words. I feel like that was really a thread throughout this collection. Mm. And you seem very sensitive to how you are influenced by and shaped by the people who came before you. Mm. Um, you know, what you're talking about people who are long dead, you know, your uh, slave-owning ancestor, um, Sir Edmund Antropus, mm. you know, for instance. Or, or you know, like... Um, Yeah, the people that your father is descended from, you know, the black people in mm. Jamaica, or, or even much closer, you know, your mom, uh, who's alive, mm-hmm. uh, your father, your grandmother, mm. both of whom uh, have passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and it's, as I was reading your collection, I really felt that you were saying, you can't know me unless you know about them. Yeah. And I was wondering, is that, something you have always felt or did something happen that made that so keenly true for you um i think both i think there's a there's a lot at play i don't think it's just one thing um but i think that so much of what became important for me to articulate was again going back to kind of being surprised in how people outside of me would kind of assume who I am where I'm from and I don't know and I know I know I know this is just because of the kind of person I am I struggled with not being understood but as I've got older I've come to the realization that everyone or almost everyone is misunderstood you know it's not something which is unique to me i think so many people feel perhaps undermined or underestimated or certain assumptions about their education or their upbringing or because of the way they speak there's something in there about that so you know even how complicated class identity is for me and so many of my peers like people who grew up you know maybe in social housing in poor parts of the uk but then in a way suddenly find themselves living a very different life or having access to things that they didn't have as kids or or had more access than their parents had and it's this kind of strange like thing to articulate i don't i don't really know That's still something I'm trying to figure out. I don't get it. Because my sister said to me recently, she's like, you know, you know, we're middle class now, right? And I was like, <laughs> oh, how, what, when, how, how did that happen? <laughs> you know? That is um, really funny. Yeah. <laughs> It's also funny that she felt the need to tell you. So clearly she was noticing that you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. She, I think she was just like, hey, chill out. You're good. Like, you're middle class now. You, you, I think she was saying that not in a way to say you don't have to pretend to be something you're not. I think she was saying it in a way that's um, asking me to take stock 
Hmm. I don't. I don't. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm still in a place of trying to figure that out. But yeah, identities are things that should never be fixed. Yeah. And I think I learned this as a teacher. I realized that the teachers I really admired were the teachers that always gave their students opportunities to surprise them. That, for me, is one of the hallmarks of a great teacher because there's no kind of expectation of, okay, this student is good, this student is bad, this student can do this, this student can do that, and then they just like assign students to just play to their strength. Or... That's kind of moving away from your question, though. But it's still interesting because what I pick up in what you say... I'd never thought about this before, you know, but um, when I moved to the United States, I saw a lot of things about where I'm from mm. for the first time. Mm. Like at some point someone said, oh, you're so European, the way you you wear a scarf. It's like, what What does that even mean? Oh, you wow. know? But also more important things, you know, like my relationship to time and mm. productivity <laughs> and, and how important I think it is to be always busy. <laughs> Oh, I thought you not, were gonna, not, you know. What? So do you do you actually take breaks? Yes, I good. take oh, breaks. Oh, good, good. That's very European of you. You take breaks. Yeah, <laughs> I like to drink a coffee and call a friend in the middle of the day. You yeah. know what I mean? Like this European thing. Yeah. I see that now. Like, oh yeah, I guess I am European. Yeah. But I wonder if I would have ever seen that so clearly had I not moved contexts. Mm. And so what I'm hearing when you talk about class is that you didn't exactly move to a new country, but you did. Mm. And I'm wondering if that like contributed to this kind of shock of recognition, like, oh, this is why I'm different from the other middle-class people who were born into this. Yeah, that's it. Like, I think, yeah, you've nailed it in that sense. Like when my sister said, you're middle-class now, it's like, no, 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 I know middle-class people. And I, I, yeah. I mean, that's not <laughs> us. Like, we didn't have that. And then she's like, yeah, yeah I know, I know we didn't. But that's just the way we're read now. And I guess I think she was also saying, even going back to that poem, you know, speaking with my friend, it's like, you can't fool them. Like, he's looking at you and you can see just from, <laughs> he looks at your flower shorts and it was like, you've mm -hmm. been somewhere else. You look like a hipster. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like an outsider now. What is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Vegan now, no chicken, you know? <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. You're vegan? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, okay. All right, bye. But it was yeah. still there was still love in that, you know. There was still, <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's 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 tricky, but it's um, we got to live our lives. Um, it's it's not yeah, it's not easy. And I think this is the thing that kind of keeps bringing me back to the practice of poetry is that poems often only work if you know how to hold them lightly. Like any poem I've started writing, thinking I know what it is I want to say, or I know, you know, with any kind of intention, the poem fails because there's no discovery in it. Huh. So I really have to always begin with a feeling or some piece of speech or something which is only a piece of a moment or an idea or something like it can never come to me fully formed. And I think that's why I'm a poet and not a fiction writer, because from what I understand about fiction, like it's a, you're in it for the long haul, 
you know, plot, like what the hell is plot? I'm a typical poet in that sense. I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just riding a feeling. I'm riding a radiance of an idea or the energy that someone else has put in the world and exploring that. Yeah, I think uh, if I was to write a novel or something, you know, I, I, I need a whole different skill set. poems that I'd love for you to read. Okay. They're both about your parents. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I always found so remarkable, you know, as I was reading your book, is like how vivid your parents are, and not just as parents, mm. but as people. Mm. As people who had entire lives before you ever arrived on the scene. And this is hard to do, right, for, for, for human beings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Often people have to wait until they themselves have children and they're like, oh, this is why my mother would, you know, snap mm. when we did not do X, Y, and Z or whatever. But, you know, you don't have a baby yet. So no. you figure this out all on your own. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, it's funny. I think, um, yeah, I, I think I had realized that I was probably going to have a child. Um, and I think just that kind of cementing that as something that I would want, you know, despite all the reasons not to do something <laughs> like that. Um, I yeah. don't know. There was a, a very strong instinct that said, yeah, you know, I think you want to, <laughs> you want to do this. I think you want to step into the role of, of being somebody's dad. And, um, and there are multiple ways to do that. because even I would, you know, even adopting or anything like that, if, if I couldn't. Yeah. So I think that, um, brought me into that kind of mindset of like, okay, well, how do I write or understand uh, my parents in a way that I'm not carrying any kind of resentment or, uh. you know, I really, yeah, I wanted, you know, if, if I'm going to reproduce, then I don't want some of the pain, I think, that both of them had. To, to, to carry on and again I don't think this is unique to me or to my parents I think we all kind of ought to be vigilant of what we carry on um, from our families and from ourselves and um, yeah that's not that's not been easy but I'm really glad you said that though about recognizing my parents in the poems beyond You know, the mother and father of Raymond Antrobus, you know, yeah. um, I feel good knowing that that was recognized because that was very important to me that that came across. Because, uh, you know, once you get to a certain age as well, you, you can't really play the mom and dad messed me up and I messed up <laughs> yeah. too. Like, I think, you know, we're adults now, like I'm the age that, almost the age that my mom was when she had me. So even that is a kind uh -huh. of like, okay, interesting. Wow. How old are you? I'm 30, 30, I don't even know how old I am. I'm 33, 
Am I? I've, yeah, I've it's lost a real count. mark of being the age that we are. You know, <laughs> yeah, we just yeah. forget knowing. Wait, did I have my birthday? Was that last year? I was yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think at thirty, I just stopped. Even every, no one even says my age at my birthday. I think it's just happy birthday, yay! Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know. So yeah. yeah. Um, it's 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 strange because it's also like when I'd written the first book, The Perseverance. My mom had read it and she said to me, I raised you too, you know, because so much of the book was about my dad. Well, I was like, yeah, but I know you did, mom, but, but dad just died. Like I got, to, I had to reckon with that. I got to deal with that and figure out what that means now. So in a way, all the names given is, is a, is a way to try and present more of my family um particularly my mum like you know because I feel like the book really is kind of for her in a way um mm -hmm. yeah I'm not sure yet I'm not sure yet I mean she hasn't read it all yet I just showed her the poems that are about her and uh, uh -huh. she didn't even yeah she just yeah she uh, it's, it's it's complicated isn't it it's strange it is like you're just like okay okay yeah okay okay <laughs> you know yeah do you think that she'd underestimated what it would mean to be written about um it's funny there's a there's a poet called hannah lowe who was one of my mentors years ago and she's got this poem with a line in it that I never forgot. It says, um, be careful what you do to people in poems, real people, known people. And um, every time I read that poem and get to that line, I'd always feel something about that. And I think that's because it's a reminder that, yeah, we, yeah, you got to be careful. Like, uh, you know, whether that person is alive or dead, you're summoning... Um, an energy, a story, and, and that many people have different kind of relationships with this person or, or ideas of this person, and you run the risk of disturbing or complicating something that maybe doesn't want to be tampered with, uh, a spirit, an energy, a memory, you know. Um, and so these things, yeah, ought to be handled carefully. And I hope, I hope I've done that in my work. But that's the thing, I can only hope you don't really know until the book is actually out yeah. there in the world. So I am I am nervous <laughs> about this book. Yeah. Um so yeah, we we'll, we'll, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's not even it's not out yet, you know, so yeah. we'll see. Well, I'd love for you to read two poems. Okay. As I said, the one about your dad and one about your mom. Mm -hmm. And then I'd love to come back again to that idea of you know, you want to do right by them mm. or you want to be careful, mm. at least. And the poems I was thinking of is, um, l let's do the first one, uh, Heartless Humor Blues. Mm. It's on page 26. Yep. Okay. Heartless Humor Blues. My mother says my father had a heartless sense of humor. That winter she fell, ice on the road. She can't forget her bruise, his laughter. Not even his shadow helped her up or soothed her. He watched from the curb, boozy, red-eyed dad, laughed when she said he had a heartless sense of humour. I think that's how he handled pain, drink his only tutor. Maybe laughter was the only thing he had. 
No, my mother says, he had a heartless sense of humour. In Hackney Downs, his past became my future, walking drunk by filter beds, noticing how grass sags, laughing at myself with my heartless sense of humour. He tells some tragic story, then laugh, his jaw looser. And if laughter won around the drinks, be glad of what can be bought with that heartless sense of humour. My mother tried again, and the next man abused her. Another man with a drink and cigarettes to drag, laughed with my father's heartless sense of humour. When Tabitha said our cousin stabbed his father, I laughed as she closed up, turned away, sour. Ray, where did you get that heartless sense of humour? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I'm wondering how you uh, approached writing. Uh, what I'd like to know is when you wrote the first draft of this poem mm. or the first you had the first kernel of the idea that became this poem. Mm. Did you have to rein it in afterwards where you're like, I'm being too mean towards my dad or did you have to actually push yourself to go further and be more honest and be like well <laughs> he did do these things like what mm. in what sense did you have to sort of course correct yeah that is a, a a good question i you know this is it you can't hide anything from your readers <laughs> that's that's quite um that's quite interesting to me that you 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 could tell that there was some wrestling here um so, yeah, the first draft of this poem was, yeah, like this kind of fleshing out of this memory. But ultimately, I remember I wanted this poem to actually be about my mother. And this is what I mean. Whatever you set out to write becomes something else um, if you're writing poetry. Um, so, I don't know. I think there was something where I wanted to capture the kind of uh resilience of my mother and um a way to say hey you know i i witnessed it too i saw the the pain that my dad put you through and um and i want to show that you know yeah that i i i witnessed it and um yeah, see, this is why I wrote the poem because I didn't, I wouldn't even, I, can't, I don't even know, you know, how to yeah, really kind of yeah. put it. But I, there's something instinctive about the poem once I mm -hmm. found the kind of form. And I just like, I don't know, this is, like you say, it's a, it's a murky kind of memory and situation. And, you know, again, we're talking about a man being violent towards a woman. And this woman, once again, having to put up with bullshit, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's like a common kind of uh, dynamic. Um, so I think the later drafts of this poem, it just became about, let me just lean on the music, just lean into the music of this poem to find my way out of it. Whether or not I feel it worked, I'm not sure. But that was how I got through this poem. Because all, all the rhymes are, are in it, you know. They're meant to be kind of tucked in, kind of hidden. And not at the same time. So I couldn't have written this poem without music, basically. And so I think that was something that led to the idea of this becoming like a blues. It's a blues because I'm just feeling, yeah. I'm just vibing on, on just... 
you know, the humour, the laughter, the soothder, the humour, the tutor, and then the other rhyme that's in it, mm. you know, um, had, glad, abused her, drag. Yeah, the rhyme is the thing that reigned in huh. the images right. in a way. Yeah, it was, I can't, I can't, I can't lie, this was not a pleasant poem to write. <laughs> not, mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, you're no. writing a really thin or, or what's the word like you're you're walking on a razor's edge right yeah. because you're trying to do right by so many different people and and what i you know what marked me the most about this poem is yes it's about your dad's heartless sense of humor and mm. how that hurt your mom and that you see that that you acknowledge that but you are also very compassionate towards your father even though you don't hold back you don't sugarcoat it but, yeah. you know, you write, I think that's how he handled pain. Drink mm. his only tutor. Mm. Maybe laughter was the only thing he had. Mm. You know, and then a little later in the poem, he'd tell some tragic story, then laugh, his jaw looser. And if laughter won a round of drinks, be glad of what can be bought with that heartless sense of humor. Yeah. You can tell that for him, this was a real coping mechanism for the undoubtedly hard things that he dealt with in his life and I wonder how you got there how were you surprised by that mm. door opening in the poem yeah actually I was because that all of that stuff came in when I decided I was just going to lean on the music um, wow. so you're, yeah you're right actually that wouldn't have been unlocked without the form so yeah it's so strange and like I guess even now reading this poem uh, it's uh, it's not it's a hard it's, yeah it's a difficult poem to read still um, usually I guess because so much of this book was finished during the pandemic and everything else I've published you know a big part of my process has been going to readings learning poems off by heart performing them reciting them and realising okay that poem was a bit too long or I feel like a bit lost here you know that was having that live sounding board was so important to my process and that almost this entire book you know didn't have that as the book was developing so i think that's also why i'm very nervous about it <laughs> and maybe i should say that um tabitha who comes in at the end that's the name of my wife and bringing in some of her family history you know that just one little line of her family history right like when you write when tabitha said our cousin stabbed his father i laughed and she closed up turned away sour yeah um it's something as well that i had to kind of be careful with you know because that's her family story yeah did you ask her if you could include that i did yeah i had it in there and i just said hey what do you think? Anything with her or my mother or my sister, yeah, I don't publish unless they're okay. But again, it's always it's always a moment. It's always like a... Uh, <laughs> you know? Of course. Yeah. yeah. I imagine also that they don't feel... if Since they love you and they want you to be the poet you are, that they would also have some hesitation to say, no, cut it, don't yeah, do it. No, you know? of course, of course. And I, and I have had some of that in the past as well mm-hmm. Denez Smith literally has a poem where they there's a line in their poem it's like some people in my family have to wait till they die until I can write about them and if I'm honest like even with all the names given I didn't I wanted to write about my mother while she, you know while she's here I want to be able to talk about 
so many of the things that might come up in writing it and having it out there in the same way that the first book which is so much about kind of understanding grief and losing my dad actually it prompted so many questions that i just wish i could go back to him and, and talk now you know it's like oh you know what happened here why did you do this oh you know like I, I just have i have better questions for him now he's not here and um i didn't want to do that with my mum. i don't think because i think there's still conversations and questions <laughs> to, to and, and life to be lived you know with with, with her yeah because that's the thing, like you know, when someone that we're close to dies, they just you just left, you just left with whatever they left you with, and that's, you know, I feel so blessed that I got this practice of poetry to do something with that. Yeah. You know. And is there a question that finds mm. its origin? in you losing your dad that you are now asking your mom. Hmm. I don't, I mean, there, there isn't a single kind of crystallized thing, but I think something that surprised me about writing a, this book with a bit more focus on my mother was my questions of intimacy. Like, I started thinking about the kind of model I had for relationships like and, and thinking about the relationship of my parents and being like there's a lot of stuff in here which is obviously f through the eyes of their kid that was a bit like this is strange that this is um yeah i don't know like just, there was just even as a kid there was something strange about it but as an adult looking back on it and i understand so much of it as actual abuse but but the way that they loved each other and even the way they loved me was in like ceremonies was in like maybe the way that they cooked or the places they took me so when i said about how i was brought onto these you know marches mm -hmm. with this poet adrian mitchell charting his poems or the way in which my dad was playing me Linton Quincy Johnson or Miss Lou poems or the way that my my mom is talking about William Blake like that's that's intimacy that's love you know um but I really was struggling to remember times when I actually saw them showing each other that same kind of love so yeah it's a strange one <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Already thinking about your parents and their love for each other, excluding you in a sense. I don't mean that negatively, mm, but just mm. like, you know, nothing to do with you. Yeah. It sort of breaks our brain as children, right? Like we're yeah. not really equipped to do it. And so we have to really open up a lot to even see the dimensions of that or imagine it. Yeah. In fact, I, you know, I came across a quote a while ago. I can't remember who said it, but someone said something like, all mixed heritage children are born out of social defiance. I mean, that is one hell of a sweeping statement to make. Sure. But yeah. but but I can't help but feel that there's some truth to it, or potentially there's a truth to it, maybe not the truth, but a truth. So it also made me feel a bit suspicious of maybe a bit, no, I don't know. I don't want to say suspicious. You know, I think it made me... Some of the questions that I had was like, is any of this kind of love... Is it is it performative? You know, <laughs> you know, like is like... Yeah. What's going on? Like is it a political there? statement? Yeah, you know, like... Uh, and is that 
am I like just a product of that of someone's mm -hmm. statement? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, and this is not this is not something that bothers me anymore. But I remember that was a thing that came up for me that I would I would almost wind myself up with asking myself those kind of questions and so, <laughs> this is one of the ways in which my partner Tabitha humbles me when she says things like you know why 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 are poets always looking for ways to hurt themselves <laughs> really making it really very complicated so it doesn't have to be as complicated as this you know you know don't always have to yeah you know lean into Did these questions yeah. that you know are going to hurt you <laughs> It's yeah, like, that's wonderful. That's like, wonderful. Oh, gosh, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, right? So did she help? Like, how did you work? Because you said, I don't really struggle with that question anymore. Mm. Like, am I just the product of like a defiant stance? Yeah. Uh, where are you now with that? Um, Now I don't feel like it's a problem if, I, if that was the case. <laughs> now I'm just like, <laughs> okay, all right, cool. Like, I'm alive. I'm very glad to be alive um, mm -hmm. and to have the life I've had so far and um, cool if that's what brought it about and the more you look into history and all of the kind of complications and murkiness of this, the, the, the colonization of all of this and the kind of you know when you think about the likelihood of someone from Jamaica and someone in England like coming together making a family even though it was not you know <laughs> a clean uncomplicated story but then what is um yeah yeah it's still a life worth having and a life worth living and yeah i think that's where i'm at with it like it if it's given me life it's fine but it's still something that i can you know as a poet it's still something i can interrogate but yeah it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't torment me so much <laughs> now <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah there's a poem uh you wrote about your mom where you kind of interrogate yeah her yeah. choice of men yeah uh it's called her taste oh yeah okay. and it's on page 12 okay yeah i'm i'm picking the the, the most difficult poems okay i'm sorry <laughs> yeah you purpose. you've gone for all the poems that were like Oh, all the poems I nearly didn't even put in the book, actually. Like, oh, can I? Oh, okay. Um, so, um, yeah, her taste. Okay. Her taste. Funny that my mother was a clown, a college dropout who joined the circus with another clown who made inflatable giants. It's funny. His name was George, a Marxist who swore he was serious when he said the men who tried to mow him down in a car one night were sent by Thatcher. So he fled England to hide while my mother pulled another man at scar and reggae night in Hackney who was tall and afroed and swooned her under the music. I'm Seymour, he said, pointing at his eyes, saying, the more I see, the more I see. And she burped. George, who was serious when he said he didn't want children, came back to England to find my mother pregnant and he struck her in the face, but ended up staying in the same house, saying he'd help raise the child, but wasn't serious. He left, and my mother and Seymour, who was my father, raised my sister and me. Thirty years later, my mother says she's holding her head higher at seventy. She never needed a man. Of course, I wonder where her taste came from. Her own father was quiet, 
detached and serious all his life, reaching out his arms for God while his children crawled at his feet. Thank you. Yeah, again, there's that killer ending, you know? It takes such a surprising turn. Um, mm. Of course, I wonder where her taste came from. Mm. Her own father was quiet, detached and serious all his life, reaching out his arms for God while his children crawled at his feet. Mm. Um, again, it's like the novelist's curiosity. Uh, mm. y you've convinced me saying that you're not interested in plot, so I'm not going to push you to write a novel, <laughs> but you know... <laughs> But there is this constant interrogation, like, mm. oh, you know, why am I this way? Oh, because of my mother. Why is my mother this way? Oh, because of her father. Mm. You know, there's mm. this like going back, going back. And I'm just wondering, like, how how did you even know about these stories, you know, about this George and about mm. that your mother burped, you know, when your yeah. dad made this really lame joke, you know? <laughs> and, like, did you ask her? Did she offer? Like, what? how did that happen? So, um... Yeah, I actually um, did know George. So I, you know, yeah, I've got a bit of history with him. And he was kind of like, I guess, he, I guess he was kind of a father figure when my dad was here and there and not there and at, at the early stages. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, no, I mean, I, that was history, which I would hear about, you know, from them, from him and from my mom. I think that was one of the questions that did come up for me. It was like, how did my mom not actually end up with him, like having kids with this guy mm -hmm. who in some ways seemed so much more suited to her, but it was him that didn't want kids. <laughs> so she found someone that did want kids. Right. And again, like this is another poem, which, oh, um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't easy to write. And, um, and I guess I was self-conscious about it because of how specific it is. You know, maybe a criticism of my work could be that, oh, it's very, like, autobiographical. It's very, like, specific to your family history, or you know. But that isn't the only thing that this is about. You know, this is a, a prism through a way to talk about, you know, the history of these countries as well. You know, it's significant that this story as well takes place in the 80s and all the stuff that was happening in the 80s with Thatcher and neoliberalism and, <laughs> you know, George, who's this Marxist, but he's also a clown, yeah. you know. <laughs> and there's these, like, ska and reggae nights and my mum is part of this kind of, you know, culture. Yeah. So, like, I don't think that's inconsequential. I think that's, like, uh, really is, like, the history of a time and a place. So, yeah, it is a funny one where you think, okay... I hope that people don't think I'm writing um, like therapy poetry, <laughs> you know, like um, yeah, there are like therapy yeah. questions in it for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But that's not it. That's not the sole intention that there's, there's other things that I hope that people find their own ways into to talk about and see something in. Yeah, of course. But then at the same time, you know, like what other way to write about, as you say, a place, a time, a country mm. is there besides through the specific, mm. right? A country is not a thing, you know? For sure. <laughs> really? Yeah, for sure. 
And so has your mother read this poem? Uh, she's, she has read that poem. That was one of the first poems from the book that I showed, I showed to her and said, okay. And again, she read it and was like, mm, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, Do you know her well enough to see what was in that facial expression? What, what, was, what was she thinking? I, I, it was... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think she was just like... She want. I mean, we had so many, the, the, so much of this discussion about my other other things I've published, but um, it can't be easy for her. I know, I know, I know that it's. Um, you know, um, like one of the things that came up for my mom, she was asking me, like, how can you forgive? your dad so easily like when you when you really think about it like some of the stuff that you did like why does he get this kind of compassion and my answer to that was like well honestly i think i think it's because when i knew he was dying i had to f find a way to make peace with that quickly because it's like arguing with a ghost you know, it's carrying a ghost and letting that ghost just live in you. And one of the things I think I'm most afraid of in terms of getting older was bitterness. Because I see what bitterness does to the body, what it does to the spirit, the soul. People feel that energy before you've even spoken. It's a very powerful kind of thing to carry. So I just, you, you know, yeah, there's a way of letting that go for me. But then at the same time, going back to, you know, be careful of what you do in poems to real people, to known people. You've also got to make sure you're caring about, yeah, those that have survived, those that are still here. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of tightrope <laughs> that, that I think this book is treading. And I don't yet know really... If it, if I've succeeded that, I'm already like thinking, okay, next time I'm going to have to do something something else. You know, next time I'm going to have to create something else. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if this is the thing, you know. You know, but it's definitely... Um, I'm glad I wrote it, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. Do you feel like it helped you process or at least place and contextualize some of the things that you will need to be a good dad to your child yeah I, I hope so i mean again these are all kind of hypothetical things we just don't know you just don't know sure. like when i think about the kind of person i am as well like i'm a very different kind of character to my dad <laughs> you know so who knows what kind of character you know <laughs> my kid will be so I, I, i'll have to deal with that but i hope that i will be vigilant and loving um and at times i'll, I'll try to be forgiving and i'll hope that that is something that they will also practice and put in the world and give back to me too because you know i'm i'm gonna make mistakes too and i hope I'm also going to be forgiven for them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. 
Well, if your poems are any indication, I don't think you have to be uh, afraid that you won't be compassionate and teach compassion too. No, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Good. How are you? Um, not too bad. Um, my son is at daycare, and I'm just like getting in a, a rest before I have to go pick him up in a bit. Since their son Ira was born, Raymond and his wife Tabitha left London because they moved to, you guessed it, the suburbs. So we're now in a place called Hertfordshire. And uh, where is that? It's outside London, like not far outside London. It takes about an hour on the train. Right. It's very calm. It's very peaceful here. We, mm. we literally live in a village. It's literally called Oxhay Village. And yeah, it's, you know, green. And um, our son goes to a Montessori school. Nice. Uh, I bought a, a bicycle, so I, I put him on the back and cycle up the hill Aww. into some like villagey woodland kind of area and drop him off and wow yes yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of yeah it's kind of what's out things are good and so tell me about ira so he's how old now ira is 16 months and three weeks old <laughs> <laughs> so what's what what's face is he in so he's he said his first word last week well, I mean, other than obviously Mama and Dada, he said uh-huh. orange. <laughs> that's I was very like, specific. I was like, wow, that's a really, yeah, like, huh. And then there's even the way that, like, you know, orange, that word that people struggle to rhyme, you know, it's just. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing. That as a poet, you're like, no, no, this is this is not the word you want to start with. That's <laughs> yeah, going to be hard. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Let's let's go somewhere else with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is maybe an impossible question to answer, but what's it like to be a parent? Um, I think I feel deepened by it in quite a few ways. Um, I think that all the warnings I was given about being a parent are true actually like you know the sleep and the in quite a few ways you literally have to become a different person i know that that to be honest that first year was particularly tough um for 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 both me and and type of and i've had to really um you know like entering that space where thinking about like how to bring equality to your home like I've had to really try and uh yeah just unlearn certain things about like oh yeah you're meant to do that because you're the, like you know like just completely unquestioned biases uh-huh and did you start being aware of that because there were like fights or, yeah. or how did that go we mm-hmm. hardly ever argued and then yeah so then we we, we actually in um marriage counseling and um uh-huh. and yeah and kind of like so much of the 
struggle and I guess to re- to the relate between us and keep our own like marriage going is that's that's kind of been the heart of it uh, yeah so that that's been tough but it's also been um the highs are higher and the lows are lower I think mm. I think that's generally the easiest way to sum it up I mean I, I guess one low thing is how unexpectedly triggered you can get around like your own childhood there were certain memories and stuff that I hadn't thought about for so long as you know since I was a kid even I was like wait a minute I got left alone in the house all the time when I was a kid you know there's just so many little things that are like oh like you know you 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 realize that what for me anyway (laughs) realizing like how much I've gone through was uh was yeah shouldn't have happened actually i was like all right i wasn't i wasn't really looked after properly at the at these certain times i mean there's the flip side of that which is also like oh wow my mom in particular must have how do you do this on your own you know um like you're already drowning basically with the two of you and and imagining that with just one yeah oh god yeah exactly so that that's the heavy stuff like that like yeah i guess on the other side of that cliff or of that pendulum would be that um just just the absolute joy of creating a child who's just so happy and curious and genuinely a good kind soul like the other day you know i was giving him some snacks and um yeah just like cutting up little bits of fruit and stuff and um I gave it to him, and then when he had enough, he started offering it back to me. So, like, oh. feeding me. I was like, oh, my God, he's feeding me. <laughs> oh. uh, it wow. kind of melted. But but then yes. but there's this other thing that's like, is this generic baby stuff, or is this him? <laughs> and do babies do this? <laughs> you know, like, so there's that, too, like. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like you don't want to get overexcited. Like, oh yeah, my exactly. god, my kid is going to be Nobel Peace Prize winner. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, just little Jesus. But it, it, <laughs> I think I guess like at, it's just this idea that at the core we are, all, we all have this I don't know great potential to be you know to just to just be good people. Like that's at the core mm. of us. Maybe I don't know. That might sound a bit whimsy because that could also go the other way we're at the core we, we also uh really don't do well with not getting what we want <laughs> you know <laughs> i mean you're not wrong yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i'm reading like a lot of the um parenthood guides and stuff about oh the out of control toddler but like i read it i'm like oh that's not really doing that he's not really he's, uh-huh. he's he doesn't throw tantrums like he's kind of like we figure out what he wants and then he kind of just calms right down i think one of the biggest surprises for me is how much he loves books and reading like that's always the thing that calms him down if he's like not you know we have to go take him away from you know because he wanted to play on some swing and we gotta we gotta keep moving but then we just get a book out and just read to him and he just he just loves it and what's it like for you to see yourself and, you know, your love of words or, mm. you know, or, what's that like to see that reflected in, in such a tiny little being? Yeah, I, you know, I'm actually trying, I, I don't want to get carried away with it because the thing that all the parenting mm. manuals tell you is that, like, 
the change is so rapid, you know, that they could love it for like three months and then they'll just completely change and go off and do something else. You know, like that's a yeah, possibility. Yeah. So I'm I, I'm aware of not wanting to get attached to, you know, a single version of of him. Yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to hold it all lightly and mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're gonna pick him up from daycare right about now. So so what what are you gonna do next? You know, does he need to take a nap? Like what what's yeah, happening? Just snacks, dinner gets put on while that's cooking, we read, play. We got him a this little trolley walker thing that he likes to push around um (laughs) he's still even though he can walk he's an amazing crawler like he crawls faster than he walks it's kind of like a superpower he's crawling it's kind of crazy um (laughs) so he likes to do that and um a couple times we have actually taken him to the library and the library is his favorite place not just because of the books but because it's like it's got this big space and he just goes whizzing like crawling really fast (laughs) up and down between the aisles <clears throat> and the librarians <laughs> love him they'll come up and be like oh he was a blog go baby <laughs> so, oh, that's amazing can you imagine just being at the library just you know <laughs> looking at a book studying and all of a sudden there's this like, speeding baby <laughs> this is, <laughs> zooming past this is this is it this, this is him this is him <laughs> Raymond Antrobus is the author of two chapbooks, Shapes and Disfigurements, and To Sweden Bitter, and two full-length collections, The Perseverance, which won the Rathbone Folio Prize and the Ted Hughes Award, and All the Names Given. He's also written a children's book, Ken Bears Ski, which was selected as the Ezra Jack Keats Award honoree in 2021. He won the Guardian Poetry Book of the Year 2018, was awarded the Jeffrey Diermer Prize, judged by Ocean Vuong, and he received fellowships from Cave Canem, Complete Works 3, Jerwood Compton, and the Royal Society of Literature. Raymond Antrobus lives in Hertfordshire with his wife Tabitha and their son Ira. To find out more about his work, check out the Poetry Foundation website. The music in this episode is by Todd Sikafus. I'm Helena Duchrot, and this was Poetry Off the Shelf. Thank you for listening. <laughs>